Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. And um, lately when I go on the road to see my favorite band, Circles Around the Sun, um, I always am interested in the acts that come on uh, to open for them because I recognize that Circles is taking the insecure path, which is actually the secure path. And what I mean by that is just getting their sound to a point where it is um, absolutely optimal and also just functioning as one living organism. And I recognize that the cats that they bring on tour with them are also aspiring for that and in some ways have been to the top of the mountain and maybe to the bottom of the mountain, but they are here now. And uh, I had a chance to see my next guest and his band a couple of times in New England and um, so many things running through my mind, but um, as I really did a little more research on my guest, I realized that he is constantly seeking, constantly questioning, and really uh, got the memo that uh, life is one long journey. Uh, you don't figure anything out, and even at the end of the line, whenever that is, you're still searching. The bottom line is my guest has clearly found his purpose in life as a sonic expander. He recognizes now after some travails on the musical circuit and different things in his personal life about how to surround himself with people that are ultimately going to form one living, breathing unit on the bandstand. I got a chance to see this. He's a multi-instrumentalist and really on a good day, always smiling. Rich Ruth, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Oh, man, thank you. That was that was nice. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. You know, um, I just wanted you to talk to the audience a little bit about, <clears throat> like, what were the major reasons for you to get off the road a few years ago? Was it just the fact that the music was not inspiring? Was the road eating you alive? Or, uh, you know, the floor is yours. I just, I've talked to enough yeah. of the older cats to know that the road can really eat you up. I just wanted you to talk about that experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of a combination of things. It, it sort of, I guess the trajectory I had been on leading up to, to that, was, it was sort of a natural thing because the, I had played in this band for, I don't know, six or seven years coming out of college, moved to Nashville with these guys and we hit it hard and toured a lot. And I mean, there was like at any point eight to 12 of us in this band. So it was like, nobody was making money. We were just playing everything we could, but yeah, that kind of eventually everyone's lives kind of crept in and it was, it was just hard to keep that many things straight and like a fully kind of equally collaborative setting. And so, and then I was playing with other bands and it just kind of, it was a combination of getting, sort of fatigued and not feeling as inspired touring um, and and just kind of a natural stop to some of these projects I was working on. So it kind of just, you know, about a year before COVID sort of that, that world just kind of slowed down for me. Um, it wasn't it wasn't that I didn't want to do it. It just like no, I did yeah, it just kind of took a natural pause. Um, was your role I mean, it sounds like kind of like a big ensemble. Uh, were you in some way, shape, or form a leader of the band? Were you composing original music? or And also, like, you know, can you just talk about that sort of road dog experience prior to COVID? I mean, it, you know, the world, it just seemed like it got turned on its head a little bit coming yeah. out. But what was it, what was maybe a high point? Uh, ultimately, you know, the... You know, I remember talking to the late, great uh, Kofi Burbridge, O'Teal's brother, and he uh, mm -hmm. he was talking about being on the road with this band, and uh, they were just, it was, the weather was rough, and, and they were all just fatigued and not really in a great mood, but they were, they were really just tired, and they got to a bar, and it was like, you know, nobody really cared whether they were there or not, but that, that fatigue that set in sort of put them in an altered state of consciousness to a degree and they wound up just blazing the show. And, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it, it, you know, and some people talk about being physically ill and yet these things don't sound comfortable to the lay person. Yeah. 
And yet, you know, sometimes the weirdest moments make for the most rewarding times. And I just wonder what a, a high point for you was, and if you were a leader in any way of that of that group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so the the band was called Kansas Bible Company, and we yeah we all went to college together, and and I mean it, yeah there was ten or eleven of us, and we kind of just wrote everything all together. I mean, it would usually start with like one person's idea or song and then we'd kind of just bash our heads together in a room for a lot of time trying to just trying to like navigate having that many people and like arranging it and stuff but it was yeah i mean it was a really beautiful like collaboration and and taught me a lot about touring and working with other people and like how not to do it <laughs> in some ways yeah no well, can and, we can, can we just can you talk about you don't have to mention names, but I think that that's the most... What did you learn not to do? What's one thing? Well, it just I feel like it, it just... Everything I'm doing now was informed by, mm-hmm. you know, six or seven years of kind of just, like, just jumping into the fire of wanting to be in a touring band and, and not caring about money, not caring about, you know, Dick. just saying yes to every single thing we could do. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's like, it you know, it and it's it's really helped shape like what what we're out here doing and the fact you know it's like saying what what we say yes to is is all dictated by those years of of yeah of just like it just wasn't easy you know and but you got to cut your teeth and learn from it i am <clears throat> i have to get this on the table i mean i i'm just wondering if if i'm just naive and and uh, a couple of Maybe your uh, promote promotion people or your record company knew circles. How did you wind up on that tour? Because obviously, based on the content and the photos, I mean, it was cathartic in so many ways for you and them. But oh, but I just wonder, like like to me, like you know, there's a lot of lonely avenues, but in music and the life of a musician. But how did that? come to uh, conception yeah from what i understand <laughs> yeah I, no I'm, again I it had nothing it. to do so what i'm saying is it was beyond it nothing that you did really no no uh i i, I should i should confirm this with like john or dan and and see what the actual story is but i i don't know if you caught their run with uh the color green opening yeah you know i saw clips i didn't but see that was again thank you for that's another hungry anyway i saw clips of it didn't see the go ahead so noah the main guy in that band hold on one second go ahead yeah sorry i was uh hosting a band at my house dude come on dude no worries dude we can edit this out no problem yeah yeah um so yeah, this guy Noah. He, I actually I ran into him in Switzerland, uh, in Zurich. He uh, I was touring with this band, All Them Witches, and he used to he he plays with one of those guys, and so he happened to be there on tour, and we met, and he was I he was a fan of my record, and I think he showed it to Michaela, and then I think she showed it to the guys. Is from. Everything that I pieced together, that's how it happened. I love so this, dude. I freaking really... love this, dude. It's great. What's that? And I just love it. That's just so organically perfect. Yeah, you know? exactly. And and so I, you know, I wasn't aware. Uh, I knew who Circles was, but I'd never seen him before and didn't know any of those guys. And, uh, and really, I mean, didn't know what kind of the foray into the jam world was going to be like. And, yeah, by all accounts, everything was really positive. It was, yeah, it was a really good time. So let's be clear about this. Um, you would say that, well, how would you, I hate labels. I hate doing this, but yeah. I realized I saw this line where, you know, you, you know, the jam found you, right? You didn't find the jam world, but you know, yeah, yeah. you kind of got, stu- you got stuck to it. You got tethered to it and it feels good. But what, what, what would you, were you playing? I can't see you playing any kind of formula trip music regardless you, you never entered what would be the i mean i was listening to the newest album last night it's like yeah this like i mean i feel like i'm in like a cathedral 
with no Pope. There's no verbal words. It's just you're going higher and higher yeah. and higher. And yet you're telling me you were never in the jam circuit world or was it always a prog circuit? I'm just trying to figure out what circuit. Yeah, I mean, well, this kind of came, I, I wasn't, I didn't like set out to do this. Like with this, <laughs> I mean, I, I was, yeah, I just of course. ended up making the first record like on my own. I had, I mean, and then just really had to reverse engineer having a live show and stuff. Like I, I just did this with collaborators and just, just like for the, sake of being creative and and then it kind of my manager and good friend helped me release the first record and then it's just kind of been we haven't stopped since which is i guess which is kind of similar to like how circles started it's like they didn't weren't fully planning on this like being their livelihood um, no not at all in fact i think uh i have interviews with mac and neely that and i'll send it to you because both of them were like basically hoping that you know, the music would be low enough at the show at the 50th anniversary yeah. where anybody would just ignore it and they could just kind of crawl under their seat and just go back to whatever they were doing before and then everything yeah, just exploded. Yeah, exactly. you know? I was talking to Adam about that and he was like, he was like, yeah, we didn't realize there was going to be like a hundred some thousand people like packing their bongs and like grabbing another beer to this music. And then, <laughs> you know, and it was, and that's the cool yeah. thing. It didn't, I think the magical part of it, and I don't know who made the call, but maybe it was Justin Kreisman, or they, you know, they didn't wait for intermission. They played it before the show. Uh, and, the fir- and, and that, to me, was magical because that was the first melodies that, that, uh, that the fans heard. So, so yeah, because in, in, so, yeah, um, you're... So, continue on. You, you would say that, like... Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so, yeah, I guess, on. like, you know... I've always I've always been really driven towards improvisational music and experimental music, whether that's you know, like bands like Can and hmm. Amandul or Spiritual Jazz or The Dead. You know, there's always Santana, all that stuff like anything psychedelic and improvisational has always oh, I love been, it. Nah, it's you know, it's all over your face, dude. I love it. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but the jam band world, aside from the dead, I, I agree. No, I know where you're going with this. I, I did continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I dabbled with it a bit, you know, in like in the 2000s, and would go to some of those festivals and stuff. And I, I, I like a lot of that stuff. It's just not what I seek out. I'd say more. And but it's like I don't know. Where do you draw the line? Because some something like Can you listen to their live recordings from the early 70s, and it's like it's totally freeform improvisational. It's yeah. Well, I just think, you know, to me, it's like, it's, it's, I remember this, my, my dear buddy, my dear uncle, George Marsh, who played with David Grisman and Jerry Han Brotherhood yeah. and this, and, and, you know, he was just like, he's like, I see a lot of these bands today and the music doesn't move because at least in the Grateful Dead, there was rhythmic movement in the band. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that just comes from the idea of, you know, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, there's a, a variety of things, but a lot of the the jam band, whatever that word means, I mean, it comes down to just sort of, you know, wanking it, so to speak, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and it's and like, I, it doesn't get me had, off, you know? Yeah. I, I had a bit of a weird taste in my mouth going into this. I, I just wasn't sure. Sure. Because again, like the, with the soul band, another one of these like learning experiences, we could, is we kind of got lumped into that world. Cause we, I don't know, we, we flirted with that stuff, but we weren't that. And it, it never really worked. Like, we and you know we play like after parties for like perpetual groove or something like that. Sure. And it was, I don't know. It just like it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth because it just seemed like people didn't really care. And so I was a little bit hesitant. And then like after the first show of this tour, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> these, people, <laughs> these people just love live music and yeah. are really open to it. And it's like. And it's like I am—I am these people, you know. Exactly, <laughs> dude. I this is—I'm, so, yeah. I'm, dude. I got chills right now, dude. This is unbelievable, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you, so, so it was—it was, yeah. It was, yeah. And, I, and and maybe Circles Crowd is a little more in tune with with just being open to to new stuff. And but yeah, it was cool for how fairly different we are musically. How how well it paired and how yeah, how great their audiences were really. I want to ask, this is really important, talking to Rich Ruth here on the Jake Feinberg Show. You know, how much, so it was a blast. You you connected with 
fam, you know, it, it, you know, interstellar family members, and it's beautiful. Like the whole thing is just so cosmic. Yeah. How much are you, how hard is it? Not, and I don't mean it as a I, I listening to the new album. How hard is it to be able to perform those songs in a forty-minute set? Because you know what, like it's no, I mean, and because believe me, it's really interesting actually. Because I spent some time listening to the album, and I always get off on people or you know musicians who go out and road test songs and then go in the studio. And in this case, it's like it's the complete opposite. It's the and and yet I and I've never said this to one musician, but and I wonder if it's just a time issue. Is that? I really needed, I felt like those songs really, I felt like the time constraints hindered some of the tunes. You tell me. I mean, is it hard to, yeah, to I do mean, that? I, I would love to be in a setting where it, where we could stretch it out more and just, you know, it, it, yeah, it limited. I mean, the set is probably, you know, about 50% improv, 50% like on these themes. And yeah, I mean, honestly, this is the first time I've played the same set a bunch of times with the same group of people because it's kind of a rotating cast. And so it was what was great about that run was like finally getting to just sort of carve out what the set was, you know, instead of having to like oh, totally. throw together a rehearsal the day of the show with because two of the guys haven't played the set before and it's kind of like getting through it, which which is always fun and exciting because I just work with like great players that can you know, I just leave the interpretation to them, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a blast though. And I, yeah, I mean, if I would like to experiment with having 90 minute sets or longer and just take it all the way out there. (laughs) Well, for instance, like I, I, it was so, it was so psychedelic for me because like the first night I look over and when you announce the band, uh, that drummer, I had it was my first ever foray into new media. My first Facebook Live video ever, 2017, on the Rocks Off cruise in New York uh-huh. with with Wolf, you know Scott, yeah. Met, and that and that drummer was young and he had like you know like sort of like punk metal tendencies, but you could see he could yeah, swing yeah. a lot. And I'm like, there he was again. And I'm like, and, and, and that, I was like, this band is on fire. I mean, it really, I mean, so you're telling me it's, is that going forward with this project? Uh, are you going to be able to keep this group together? Because to me, I mean, it, it's just, it, it seems to me like it, it, it just, the music felt good. And no matter how much it is fun to be spontaneous with people that don't know it after a while, you, you know, you do want to gain that yeah, level you, of trust. Yeah, so you, you want, can, yeah. you want a language with these people. Exactly. And, yeah. and yeah. And I mean, Taylor, who you're talking about, Taylor. Like, yeah. Thank you. Flora. Yeah. I, I speak highly enough of him and give him enough. Cur- oh, he's really an amazing drummer. Dude. Yeah. Transform like the live material to something like, yeah, I, I, so I had been playing a weekly gig with him in Nashville, kind of mostly during like the pandemic time. We just play every like Wednesday night at this dive bar with this great crew uh, that was just, we just do like instrumental covers. For oh my God, get me playing. out there, dude, immediately. Dude. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And, and so I had been playing with him weekly for two years and he just became a good friend of mine. And we, and, you know, when it came time to put a band together, it was like there was, wasn't any question about who was going to play drums. And, yeah, and I I didn't like fully realize his like pedigree with Wolf in that world until we were literally up on this Northeast tour, and it was like every show we went to, someone would be like, "Yo, how'd you get the guy?" <laughs> Dude, I blew head? blew my mind. No, cause th- th- <laughs> yeah. this is this is the thing I want to ask you about because he when he, when I saw him in Connecticut, I said, "Man, I can't believe it's you." You know, I haven't seen you in a while. And and I said, how's Nashville? And he's like, he's like, it's treating me very well. I wonder if this is just one of those things. Like, if you go, you know, the guys I've interviewed, like Keltner and all these cats, it, they didn't want to leave the studio scene in L.A. because if they did, they might not get called for for studio sessions. Hey, totally, yeah, yeah. And I just wonder if if like. If Florith or, you know, if, if some of those, when he said that to me, I got the impression that he can sing for his supper as a musician, but 
in in Nashville, but is that one of the reasons it's hard to keep a cohesive unit together? Because if people leave, they're not going to the phone won't ring as much. Well, yeah, and that and there's just so many touring gigs here, so it's like you know, and I feel like Taylor. I mean, he's only been here a couple of years, and I feel like word's kind of starting to get out a little more that that yeah how great he is, and I just feel really lucky because I know he truly like enjoys what we're doing and i think just places a priority on like playing music that's different and exciting and yeah but no and, and it's I, he's he's definitely been sinking into that world i know he's getting a lot more calls for for session stuff and and yeah he's busy yeah sure. the, i mean i i'm still i the one i gotta we gotta get to the bass player as well because yeah. that dude is just nasty i mean it, it's just yeah. unreal but uh i i really need you to talk about the first time that you connected with sax squatch i mean that dude fundamentally blew my brain open <laughs> on multiple levels dude yeah, he is. A, i need to know the first, first time major. that rich ruth connected with sax squad <laughs> what was that Man, it was it was up in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Wow, uh, wow. The, the my old band would we play this festival up there called Farm Block. That was just like a small, kind of low key kind of cosmic festival. And we just we went up there like seven years in a row. And it was just kind of the same people, mostly from Michigan. And it was mostly just like an excuse to like go way up north, up by Lake Superior, and like chill out for a couple of days. But he was kind of a fixture in that scene. Uh, he's from Kalamazoo, but that whole Michigan world is very tight and insular. And so, yeah, quickly connected with him and just saw him. He would sit in with, like, everybody at this <laughs> festival. And, and, you know, and he would also – one of my favorite things about him is that he would – every year he would lead this thing called the Sax Summit. Oh and they would – it would happen on, like, Sunday at, like, noon. And he would gather every sax player that was at this festival, sometimes like six or seven guys of varying pedigrees from, you know, virtuoso level to almost like. Yeah, rubber like bands around the horn. Yeah, and shit. Like yeah I did. In Street scholars. And, yeah, and yeah. had their horn with them. And it'd just be this like 30 minute, just seven saxes just like <laughs> going nuts. And it was it was like very experimental and abrasive and beautiful. And so that always like no rhythm section. Summit. There was no rhythm. No, se- just, oh, this is unbelievable. Pandemonium, and, and, dude. And so yeah. Saxwatch would kind of lead that, and he'd have a few little like motifs or themes that they would kind of play on. But I mean, yeah, it's like the saxophone is just you know, it's the most expressive instrument we have. I think it's like you can make the most heinous, <laughs> demonic sounds, or it can be the most beautiful thing in the world. And and so. You know, in the 30 minutes every year of the SAC Summit, they would explore all sides of those those parameters. And so when it came time to put the band together for this run, my normal kind of main collaborator on the sax is my good friend Sam, who plays most of the sax on the records. Um, really? Okay, so what's his? What's that cat? Because was he the one that played on the most recent one, too? Yes. And, dude, and he is. I mean, that dude knocked bit. my socks. Because yeah. I thought that was Sasquatch, but I realized that now it's, who's this cat? Sam who? Uh, his name's Sam K. He's a, wow. an Indiana guy. He just a phenomenal wow. wind player. I wow. mean, he can play flute. He can play Barry. And just one of my best friends. He, yeah, he came into my orbit in like 2016. And when I started kind of piecing this together and wanted some different voices, I just brought him in and it like just transformed it to something that was bigger than I was, you know? And yeah. So, (laughs) but because he's like such a monster musician, like there's not many people that can like cover his ground on the sax for like a live show. So it was like, I was like, I need someone good and someone who's down to tour. And, you know, this isn't like a, you know, we're just out here slumming it on the support gig. So it's not like I can like pay people very much. But I knew I knew Jared would be down, and he, yeah, he he sank into it fucking perfectly. And it took one or two shows to kind of carve it out a little bit and just kind of f- figure out how to how to make it sit nicely. And by like yeah, by the third night we were off. And so this was and the yeah. first this was the first live opportunity for you and Sax Squatch to play. Yeah, we had we had one rehearsal before before the tour oh that's great that is so great yeah 
Um, yeah, he's a he's a force of nature. In all I, I mean, yeah, no, he. I mean, absolutely a force of nature. Some people call Jake Feinberg a force of nature, but that's <laughs> But you know, I mean, that's it. I want you to just talk, and I, this is really important because my 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 prayer is that you you be able to keep this band together and do some regional touring. Do just keep touring the band and grooving the music and getting that sound. Yeah. Um But so you know, and it happens to a lot. Like you know. I'm not going to get into the whole story, and it wasn't that big a deal, but your music uh, is dance music. Uh, you know, I can dance to ace, arrhythmic music. A, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I can dance to anything. And to me, you know, there are, it's not your natural, like, hip hugger, Booker T and the MGs. Like, it doesn't right. have those kind of, like, dance floor, certainly not, like, circles, you know. So it's right. like, so the expectation is, that people are going to, you know, sit or stare at the, at the band. And I just want to know from the musician's point of view, if you want cats to get off and dance, because, you know, to me, um, I had a guy come up to me at, at your show and at the Fairfield show. And he was like, Hey man, you know, my boys, they, they just want to see, see the, the, you know, can you move off to the side? And I was like, Part of me, was, and it happens everywhere I go, I'm like, I just sort of was like, all right, you know, I didn't say anything, but I was like, do they have legs? Can they move? Like, <laughs> like, like they're opening for circles. Let's yeah. have a ball. I mean, the, yeah, exactly. you want the band. You, it's just not some classicalized thing where people no, are sitting no. and applauding. And can you just talk about how to how – to, because it's – for me, like, Sasquatch could go off or you could be playing. And you can – you may not be able to tap your foot to it, but you can let the body dance. I want you to talk yeah. to people about the expectations. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, the, the fact no, that you guys want people to get down. Yeah, that's I'm I'm well, and like I said, man, it's like this is kind of new territory for us in general. Like we hadn't we had played a few shows in Nashville and a few festivals, but it's like we hadn't been out there on the road like playing for a new audience every night, and so I'm. I was still kind of figuring out like how, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what this is, you know, in the live setting anyways. And, and I think one of the things I'm most excited about is that like one, it can work like in the jam world or it could be at a jazz festival or like an experimental thing. And, but was, what was really refreshing to your point was, you know, I'm used to playing shows in Nashville where it's like people just kind of stand there with their arms crossed and like, you know, it's a bunch of musicians judging you, which is, you know, fucking whack, whack shit. Makes you play better, but you know, it's not always, no, it's just too square. No, exactly. I mean, it's just, go ahead. So people got unhinged though at a certain point. Yeah. 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 And, but, but going out with circles, it was like almost every night. And, and the, the Fairfield show is a little bit more, because there was actually seats there. Like Dude, was that was the best sterile. fucking venue I've ever been in in my life. It was like a studio, a man. Great oh, man, dude. Go yeah, ahead. Props, yeah. Shout out to the, the to the stage one in Fairfield. Big shout out to that. For that. Was, was Pandemonium. The best room we played. That is sick. That's so great. Because that, that was, I felt like I was watching like, you know, weather reporter Mahavishnu from like 71, <laughs> like in a small little like oh, yeah. folk club or something. It was sick. Yeah. It was sick. But what I was saying though, is that like every night I'd look out while we'd be playing and it's like, people would just be moving. They'd be spinning around and like dancing Good. and stuff. And, and yeah, and it's like, we're not playing like groovy kind of disco-y funk music at all, <laughs> but it was cool to see people still engaged and, and, yeah, it, it was it was great. It was a nice change of pace from like what I'm used to. You know, when did when did the music? When did you realize that music was going to be a healing force for you in your life? I mean, to me, like, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with psychotherapy. I definitely spent many many hours in psychotherapy, but I yeah. I don't in the last few years, especially. I mean, I love music, but I love the the people, even the musicians, even more. Yeah. I often wonder, like, you know, like, I guess it's a twofold question. You know, when did you realize that, uh, even though maybe society was saying, "Oh, you can't be a musician," but it felt so good and it was so healing for you. And ultimately, 
like coming off of a tour like this, how, how do you recalibrate? Because for me, like I don't go, I have too much at stake in my life to go into a dark place, but I just, it's hard to, all of a sudden you start to feel like, you know, you're, uh, the gravitational pulls pushing down on you because you don't have that high vibe anymore. And I just wonder like yeah. for you, how long it takes if you throw yourself back in immediately to the music, do you give yourself a few days to recalibrate and how yeah. hard is that? Like I, sort of I usually, yeah. I mean, I, I usually kind of am a bit of a hermit when I get home. It, you know, you just got to like decompress oh. and touring is just so stimulating in every way. It's like, the highs are high, the lows are low, and you know you're you're especially when you're like you know you're your own tour manager, you're hustling the merch table. It's like you're out there talking to people constantly, and just giving so much energy in every facet of the gig, whether it's driving to the venue, loading in, or selling merch, or just playing the show, you know. And so it is exhausting, and I've been I've been out like constantly this past year and a half I, I also tour with this great artist named sg goodman wow and so her her wow. schedule is really busy and so yeah it's just so it's like when i'm not doing that i'm like trying to do rich Ruth stuff also so yeah i can be pretty spent when i get home but i try to always but i i, I find that like you know if i'm out for like a month and then i come home to like the studio that's when a lot of my best work comes out of me because it's just like you know, you're, you're exercising like your chops and so you get, and like with these synthesizers and stuff, it's like, I'm, I'm finding these new ways of like engaging with these complex instruments that when I get home, it's like, Oh shit. I like, I know these effects and these oscillators like in a different way. Cause I've been using them every single night performing. And so then when I get home and with like the sort of meditative, like healing quality, it's like, that's kind of, that's like the other side of the touring coin is when I can just hole up in my studio and, you know, I'll be in there for like three days, pretty much nonstop, just working on new, new ideas. Is it, and that, it yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, like when you're, when you're on stage, like in some, one of the free form moments, you wind up hitting some clams that turn into the magic notes. Like, and then you come back home and you're like, wow, that was because uh, some of this stuff has totally. to be, you know, cause yeah. like, that's the best part. I mean, the, the stories of people hitting clams and like that made it, <laughs> that made it onto the hit record. Like David's, you know, it's, I'm just wondering exactly. like that, that to me is like, it's not maybe in the moment you're like, Oh man, that was a, that was a clam. But then in reality, you're like, no, 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 that that's a gateway. Yeah, absolutely. And with, you know, yeah, with the amount of weird, sound processing that i'm using with synths and pedals and stuff it's like you yeah there's always there's always going to be this balancing act of just like just like riding this line of using all this gear and hoping that it it works (laughs) the way you want it to and sometimes it doesn't and so that's yeah like you're saying like that's when some weird magic can happen what um going back in the time i mean I just, uh, I wonder about your influences, your, your synthetic influences. Like, uh, do you go back to Silver Apples of the Moon, Subotnik, uh, you know, Pat, Dr. Patrick Gleason or George Duke? I mean, who, yeah, who are, I, I, who are I, some I, of your, I mean, maybe it's more modern stuff. I don't know. I'm just sort of caught in that original, yeah. uh, you know, when I see, I just remember J- John Hurd talking about the bass player talking about, um, First time he saw George Duke with one of these ARP synths, and it looked like one of those old telephone operators, you know. Yeah. You know, and I just wonder how far back in the lineage your 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 influences in this in the synthetic world are. Yeah, I mean, it, it does go back to a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, certainly George Duke is. Yeah, I mean, in every way, he's he's an inspiration. <laughs> sort of like the Dude, I, such an inspiration! I got to send you those interviews, records. man. Oh my god, <laughs> the guy is. But yeah, ugly. I mean, but see, I I guess what drew me in is, you know, I took, like, some piano lessons as a kid. I have, like, a found, like, rudimentary knowledge of chord structure on piano, but I'm not a keys player by any means. I dig. And so, uh, I think, like, in the, maybe, like, 2009, 2010, I was in college and just, you know, just absorbing every new weird musical thing I could, like, find. 
and I guess started getting into like craft work and can and stuff like that. And then Philip Glass. Uh, and then I, I got into this, this experimental group from Ohio called Emeralds that does this really out there, beautiful ambient drone with a lot of like arpeggiators and just these gorgeous synth textures. And I just, uh, and this was before like analog synths were accessible and affordable. It was like back then, like, unless you wanted to spend like three grand on like a new Moog, your options were just like, what year, what was this? Like early two, what, what years were this? Like 2008 to 10. Yeah. 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 And so I just, I never, I never thought like, I always thought like, oh man, if I could ever afford analog synths, like someday I'll have a studio just like filled with like, <laughs> <laughs> never thinking that that would be like an achievable. And now it's totally, thing. it's now, totally now, there. Now, yeah. That, yeah. That's my life. Oh, I yeah. love it, dude. I, you're ensconced with those, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I've always been drawn to this open-ended side of synthesizers and I've, I've kind of in some way like protected myself from like fully understanding what they do. I don't want to know. I like, I like there just being a bunch of knobs and menus in front of me and just getting into like this sandbox zone. Oh, I love dude. I th- God bless and, you. Cause that, that to me is like, that's anxiety 10 times for me. <laughs> I love that you're ready to dive into the box and shit in the mess. Yeah. You know? But, but I don't, you know, it's like, if you start talking to me about LFOs and VCS, it's like, I, I, you two and a half. Cause people, yeah. since people will like talk to me about that shit. And I'm like, dude, I honestly don't. Yeah, it's it's just What's like stop with the wonky. With things, we don't need any. Don't, this yeah. isn't a wonkish thing. Like, let's just fucking burn. You know, let's have a yeah. ball. Yeah, and so I like this. I like this ability to to create emotional textures and sequences and repetitive things and loops with this medium that like you can kind of engage with without having to be technically good at the instrument. You know, you can. To me, it's just like another world of, of sound and where most of my ideas start is just kind of just playing with these synthesizers and just finding something that strikes the chord in me. You know, uh, it seemed to me in my somewhat altered states when I saw you that, that maybe you just sort of do exactly that. that, that you weren't, there wasn't a lot of, you weren't too busy on the synthesizers. Maybe you'd hit something, some sort of sonic texture, and that would go off on on a loop. I, I, yeah. I oftentimes just saw you sort of in a very cerebral, almost orchestrative mode. Is, did I did, was that was I reading that correctly? It wasn't like you yeah. were flying around on that thing. No, it's not like I'm like Herbie Hancock up there like ripping solos. Yeah, you're not Jan Hammer or whatever. I yeah, can't. I dig. I dig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like it. It's. I like that you can just kind of like you can just hit a chord and it'll just keep oscillating while I play guitar and 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 then it also like creates a tone that then everyone else can move around and like Taro my bass player it's like he he's running his bass through all these reverb pedals and stuff and so he you know it's like everybody but Taylor is like capable of making drones and these kind of abstract sounds like oh. is running through all these pedals and stuff and so it's just i don't know it's like a it's a i think the the meditative quality of like a drone is like something that i mean it, obviously it's something that has surfaced in all kinds of music around the world for forever but i think it's like an underutilized uh i don't know just method of of grounding what you're, you're at, you're nailing it, dude. It's, I mean, you know what it is? Well, because that Tambora would be, you know, back in the day, you look, I don't know if yeah. there's this one album you got to check out. My dear uncle, late great Pat Martino. Uh, oh, I love Pat okay. Martino. I don't know if you know the album Baina, but I don't know if I know that. I, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to send you the, dude. It, okay. They, he's got a Tambora. He's got Charlie Persip on drums. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, fusing east and west and so like yeah. that was used in sort of a world east west jazz setting and then uh but a lot of that drone stuff is now used for sedentary yogic meditation and yet yeah. it can't it, it should be i love how you're using it and i don't want the secret to get out because that <laughs> shit can be used in a sonically expanding environment tenfold yeah. and it can keep people grounded in the groove. I, I dig. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like 
yeah, and and I think like yeah, you listen to a lot of Indian music or sure. or experimental krautrock stuff, and it's like or the Dead, even you know, like in the space settings or a Dark Star Jam or something. It's like that that same quality is present, and so it's always something I'm trying to I'm trying to work with and and play with, or like a lot of spiritual jazz too, like Alice and Pharaoh stuff is pretty. You know, it's like one heavy riff and like a sitar droning while these unbelievable players just like spin circles around. Or it, like, know? yeah, Pharaoh's like yodeling or, you know, chant. Yeah, yeah, it's unreal. Exactly. It's true. It's, 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 uh, y- you know, Rich, I just wanted you, this is just sort of like came into my head, but, um, you know, I wanted you to talk about, you know, how you've kept your heart open to people and to just sort of the the mysteries of life. Um, I know that, I mean, it's, it was written about uh, about you basically being, you know, essentially your life was threatened. You were held, yeah. you were held up at gunpoint, uh, you know, and, and yet, you know, I mean, some of this, and then just being on the road and, you know, some, you know, just having to deal with the drama and the politics and, and it, you know, even guys like Matt, I mean, McDougal, who is like my yeah. favorite, I mean, I love him so much, but he's also like, he can be cynical, you know I mean? Just because yeah, he's definitely. been out there and like, I, yeah. I want you to, you know, to me, like the one thing I can say, because we were only treated to, you know, 50, 45 minute sets from Rich Ruth is yeah. just, I'm like, this cat is just he's got a great aura and a great light and that only exists you. if you keep your heart open. And I wonder how you do that considering you've had some, as many people do some, uh, slippery and jaded situations. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird because I, I can't like separate those experiences from what this music is to me. And like, Cause it happened, it had the first, it was kind of a series of, of kind of fucked up things that happened, but basically I got, I got held up at gunpoint by a kid that lived like three houses down from me at my old house. And at like 9am they stole my car and, uh, it was like while I was making the first record. And so we were like, you know, just dealing with the trauma of all of that and like having to go to court and all this shit and get my car back and press charges or whatever. Uh, yeah, we were tracking what became calming signals and, and I think it, it, I don't know. It just added a new layer of like meaning and I guess like healing quality to the music. And I think it was something that it kind of, and then, and then a series of other things related to the carjacking happened with these same people and we had to move. It was, you know, it was, it was a nightmare. And Hmm. so, yeah, so then, and then while I was making this record, I was doing a lot of EMDR therapy, kind of retracing all this stuff and just trying to, just trying to move on and properly compartmentalize this stuff. So it's not just bouncing around in my brain every day. And so, yeah, it just, and, and it was 2020 too. So it was like, you know, I was just, it just felt like the world around me was in full chaos mode and, and inside of my brain, like with this PTSD. And so, yeah, I think I, I really was, and and I was listening to a lot of spiritual jazz and free jazz while I was working on this. And I was just so struck by, I mean, just the power of that music and how at times abrasive it is, you know? Absolutely. And so that, and I I was kind of with the first record EP I put out, it was like, I was kind of lumped a little more into this like ambient world. And I was like, well, should I like stick with just that? And then I was like, you know, listening to McCoy Tyner records and like Ascension by Coltrane. And it's like, man, this shit is like not very peaceful. No, (laughs) no, it's a, it's a, it's peace as a burn, as burning. Absolutely burning. It's it's catharsis. Yeah, exactly. You can tell. I mean, especially Ascension, it's like, you know, it's like you have arguably the greatest living musician in the world at that time who had just put out, like, the masterpiece. And then he follows that up with, like, a record that to this day is, like, 
it is intense, man. You know? A lot of cats have a hard time getting their ears around that particular, <laughs> even though Train's albums are, but there's a burning urgency and ambient music, at least the word itself, doesn't correlate to that. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and so I wasn't, when I'd listen to these records and I, I was like, man, I don't feel peaceful. I don't feel <laughs> calm. <laughs> like, you know, right. And, right. And, and I still turn to ambient music and like these drone qualities, whether I'm creating it or just listening to it, like to help center myself and feel calmer. But at that point it was just like, I just didn't, it didn't feel like the music that I was trying to express matched that because, you know, there was like, riots in the street and the world was shut down and yeah it just everything just felt fucked up so i tried to lean more into that and i was like you know if if cole's train can make ascension it's like <laughs> no there's no reason why i can't have two minutes of sax just making atonal freak outs on my record because who who like who's gonna judge me who gives a shit <laughs> dude you know and that that's the when you like that is but going back to the this is the this is the this is the thing. I mean, Neil Cassidy said that I've been saying this all morning for some reason, and because everyone it's grace beats karma all the time. Yeah. And in order to be graceful, you had to in this this dysfunctional individual three doors down, whatever, uh, stealing your car, holding you over. I mean, to me, like there there's so much there that would be prohibitive for you to forgive were you able yeah. at a certain point to get to a point where and i don't want to say like you know but just i i it, it so many cats and, and a lot, going to the free jazz thing uh pharaoh albert ayler uh, all yeah. these guys you know they these guys all the jazzers i mean you want to talk about getting held up at gunpoint, getting arrested before yeah. the third set. I mean, this is the blues, and they're, so they're yeah. freaking this stuff out on this, on the, in the recordings because that's their life. I mean, so I yeah. guess it's a twofold thing. I mean, do you feel like making that album, some of, the, some of that pain uh, rubbed off on the album itself, and were you able to ultimately forgive uh, this, these individuals who really were part of the madness of 2020? Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely have. And I mean, I don't, yeah, it's so weird to like, I don't know, start to recount things that happen in your life right. and like what, what leads to what. And it's like, it's like, a, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's like sometimes you need a heavy wake up call to like prioritize. You're damn right. You, we, all you do, we all do it. We all get it too, man. We all yeah. get it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like that morning fucking july 5th 2018 i walked out of my door and like my whole reality changed in the span of five minutes like for the rest of my life and yeah and it's something that i've been processing a lot and and i i do forgive those guys and i i know i don't know that, that was like part of the emdr stuff was just being able to i guess just zoom out on the whole thing and realize that it's like i was just caught in this crossfire of these people's difficult lives that are a lot harder than mine and and now i have like a career partially because of it which is crazy <laughs> so, explain that you know, so i like, mean that that you're explain how that ha explain how that led to where this where you are today yeah i mean it just it it just like tied right these experiences right. to the music and made made my focus on what this music means to me, something extremely real and like visceral. Whereas before I was just like, I was just experimenting with these ideas and textures and stuff. I'd always been into experimental music and kraut rock and, and like Steve Reich and minimalism and all these things. But it just, it like it was this perfect storm of kind of studying these traditions and trying to understand like what breathes life into this music and then all of a sudden something happening to me that was the thing that, you know, breathed life into what I was doing. Exactly. That's real life. Trauma That's, and yeah. It was dark, but it, but it, it like, it ad just added new meaning to it all. Do you have, were, were you, were you ear trained before you learned to read music? Have you been in the academy at all or are you totally a street scholar? Uh, 
not it's pretty informal i mean i i still can't really read music I, 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 you, you're the kind of cat I mean I, I just I just have to tell this story because it's like Mike Knock great piano player from the fourth way was like uh, he was just playing like at a seminar in New York and you know dazzling and uh, and Hal Galper uh, who's a teacher great great piano player in his own right was like Mike how did you do that explain how you did that and he's like I don't know and it was driving him nuts you know but like <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like I, you know, like it, it. A lot of the magic in music, I don't care it, what genre it is. It's it's the fact that when it just comes through you, and you're not, you haven't been codified in the music to where you can't really explain it. And I and, yeah. and people are very hung up on all this intricacy and huge facility today and chops and this that and oh, the other. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, that dude, you know, great. and I wind up yeah. staring at the wall, dude. You know, I mean, it's just, dude, yeah. I'm bored to death with that shit. So I, I dig yeah. that you're, you know, sort of, you know, on the razor's edge, so to speak, you know? Yeah. That's how I like it too. And I, I, I also, I, my goal is to bring in people that are that good and have those people play on the records and be in the band but give them these minimal parameters and then just this kind of, I guess this like loose roadmap of like, Hey, here, here's what this is. Feel free to like, I, I just want people to be themselves. Dude, like, I, you, that comes through. So it's so beautiful. Cause that's the way I good. would want to be. Thank if you. I was on the bandstand, I just would like to have a little bit of a sketch contouring it and then let cats be themselves. Yeah. That's the ultimate band. And, so that, leader right and there. that's how I make the records. It's like, I have this, amazing like crew of good friends of mine that that have all contributed to these things and it's like okay once i have an idea it's like okay i have three sax players to call is this like for sammy is this for jared or is this for caleb and it's like i just try to pick the zone that that musician can fully be themselves in and i don't really ever tell them what to do it's just like here give me like three takes of you doing something over this minute of the song you know and and just always being surprised at what happens how much do you um i mean it's for me like i'm going back and you know finding happiness during my day going back and you know watching the the video clips i took and you know ruminating on that but do you have a tendency to sort of i mean during the tour it's you you're doing too much to really uh perseverate or romanticize on certain things but i do notice younger generations i mean i'm 44 but younger cats too like people like just i mean they get caught up and in their own they're so into their own thing and they they can romanticize and they can listen to the stuff over and over again um are you someone that's kind of like well that was that night and that came through me and now it's time to move on to the next thing or are you are you somebody that you know when you need to pick me up you, you go back to that special night in in Asbury Park or wherever you? No, I try to I try to just keep moving. I love it, dude. Like, straight ahead, man. Straight <laughs> and, ahead. You no, know, and sometimes it's sometimes it is pleasantly surprised surprising to be like reminded <laughs> of something and like for example, uh, we did an album release show for this record in August at Third Man at the Blue Room and. I kind of had forgot that they had recorded it and a buddy of mine, a really great mixing engineer just like sent me the mixes. And it's like, I hadn't heard any of this stuff in five months and was like, Oh shit. Like, wow, wow, this was a really special evening. And like, I'm so happy that it's captured. I think we're going to release it in the next like month or so. Um, How long did you yeah, get to so, play that? Yeah. Was it like a 90, that was a longer night. You could stretch it was out. Like probably, it was probably like 70 minutes. Wow. And 70 got, minutes of Ruth would put me in the, in the ethos, dude. Ethos. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that one. It's, it's cool. Um, but yeah, in general, I try not to, I just like to move forward. I like to keep moving. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to. I did. I did. No, you're not a, that's why you have fanatic, you know, fanatics go, can, can get stuck and then fanatics <laughs> yeah. go forward. But that's what, what fans are about. I mean, yeah. Where's one area that you are sitting there this morning or this afternoon and saying, okay, I have to push myself. Out. I mean, you, you strike me as a pretty fearless person musically, but if there's one area that you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone on the bandstand, or even from just a leadership point of view, uh, what would it be? 
I think I think stretching things out like is is because we st- we haven't really been and it's like especially now that this this jam band world has kind of like I've I've kind of just serendipitously like happened here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's go ahead. I mean, that, that there are no coincidences, so it was aligned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you mentioning that you'd like to, you know, as like just the listener, like would like to see it expanded upon. It's like we've been kind of confined to you know forty five to sixty minute sets, and it's it's kind of a nerve wracking thing of like how how we do that, but it's something I want to do because it's like you listen to. You know, if you listen to like an old recording of like a Farrah Sanders live or Coltrane, it's like there's like long, long portions of oh my god, twenty six minutes of just insanity. Yeah, totally. You know, and so it's like how to how to channel that kind of energy and and still make it part of the journey and make it accessible for for people. Like you know, I, I don't ever want. I also don't ever want this to be too esoteric that like my mom can't understand it you know i dig no this is a really important concept because i would just say that like there you know part of me really digs what um i mean one reason miles turned his back on the audience is because he didn't want to see people's facial expressions he didn't want to be he didn't want to be reacting to those kinds of you know sort of uh i would say almost insignificant things and then lee morgan same way they'd be like the philosophy was like, hey, man, you know, we dig what we're doing. And as an audience, you may not dig it, but we still dig it and we're going to play it. You know, like and like Bill Graham, yeah. too, was like, you know, when he put those bills together, you know, bands like Malo or, you know, Sons of Champlin or or the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. He goes, you know, yeah. he goes, maybe he goes, I think it's I think it's people need to hear this stuff and they and I want them to dig it. And so yeah. part of it's like. We're so into placating and pleasing and customer service and all this other crap right. now. It's like you have to get off if you you have to get off in order for the audience to get off. So my only suggestion exactly. would be like, uh, you know, if you're if you're confined to that forty five to sixty minute thing, then you know take a page a little bit out of you know the playbook of the you know I, of course the, the dead is the at the at the top, but you take like. Yeah. You find like three tunes that you know there are certain seg certain passageways, maybe twelve fifteen minutes in that you could just go directly into the next tune, so it becomes like one long piece where you know, yeah. and yet it's there's three different tunes in there, and it might go totally. over the people's heads, but it it never stops. So you're just you're in a complete as an audience, you're in a complete sonic bath, and you then have. You know, you could essentially, if you know, have you know, eight to ten minute areas of of tremendous improvisation. That's just a thought from the from the peanut yeah. gallery. You know, totally, man. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, and I think as we as we continue to do it, like we will for sure expand on that because I don't want to just be playing the same thing every night. No, yeah. and I, it just it felt like it felt a little bit like uh, the rubber band could have kept stretching out, and yet you yeah. you were like, well, we got to. You know, we got it. You're not the first person to tell me that, too. It's like a lot of a lot of people are like, "Man, I wish you would have just played that one song for like eight more minutes." (laughs) Some great grooves in there. I, 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 there's a little bit of a flavor. I mean, there's like a gumbo quality to the music because it's just there's a there's like different flavors. So you want to try to? um, Does it also speak to your own ability to improvise? I mean, that's the one thing I love about the cats that I go and see that i mean they never repeat any ideas they are yeah, you I, I yeah i think yeah that's that's always an exciting challenge and it's like you have to view it like that as a player just be like find new ways to challenge yourself to use new sounds to use new patterns and yeah that and that's always something i want to i never want to lose that like drive to do that you know there's something to be said for like go, taking as many bars as you want but you know you know after a while you, you know, you just don't, you want to make it so that you're not repeating anything. Yeah. I, you know, I just felt like for you, like, um, I, well, I thought it was, um, a pretty damn good first go around. And before yeah. we're going to, we're going to have to do set two with Rich Ruth. Cause the guy is just a ball of fire, but <laughs> I just want to wrap up. I need you to tell me 
a good Dan Horn story from the tour. The man is like, <laughs> if you want, I mean, if you really, oh it, you know, gotta, the man, the, fundamentally, he, I don't know, I can't explain it. He's a bit of a shaman. Yeah. We don't have he's long conversations. He's, he's on a different plane, man. Hey, man, I, you know, I just want to tell you something. I mean, he, he fundamentally changed my life four years ago. I don't think I've had, I mean, I've done a bunch of interviews with him. It's always like pulling teeth because he doesn't really, he's not a loquacious person per se. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, but he's a shaman in a certain way, and I, and I just want a, a great Dan Horn story from the tour. Okay, this, I'll give you a quick one. Yeah. The, so this was, you know, you start these support tours it's like I'd never met any of these guys. I'd interacted with John a little bit on Instagram and and, and had heard good things from mutual friends and stuff. So like I knew it was gonna yeah, be totally good vibes. Yeah. Um yeah, like hadn't ever heard anything. But bad still it's I mean, that. I can't imagine walking into that and not knowing anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's like, you know, my with my like history of doing this, it's like the the right move is to, you know, when you first start this thing out, like be as hands off as you can, like stay out of their way. Don't bug them. <laughs> right. Stay out of the green room. Like all the, just be courteous. And immediately they were like super welcoming. Everyone was a little stressed out. Like the first day of the tour, just they, they had been in Mexico and like Dan, Dan had like lost his Olympic base. <laughs> oh no. I know the generator died down there. It was a, yeah, it lost, was like a whole, but he lost, wait, the, the plane lost the Olympic. Well, I think they had actually left it at a venue in Richmond, Virginia. Oh my god, that's funny. fucking great! Right. So right. he like went, he went and bought a Rickenbacker like the next day, and then the Olympics showed up like on the third or fourth show. <laughs> but, but so okay, so this is my Dan Horn story. I can't so wait. He, uh, which also I know I didn't know until talking to him that he like did all those Cast McComb records and played in his band, which absolutely is so cool because I love those records. A lot of and, great upright, uh, yeah, totally, yeah. But he. This was in Albany, so like the second show, and we're just in the our corner of the green room little apartment, and we're, we're like about to go on stage in like fifteen minutes, and he comes in there, and he's like, uh, "I'm going to Target. Does anybody need anything?" <laughs> <laughs> he was dead serious, and then like we're like, "Oh, we're we're good, man. Yeah. I think I think I think we're good." And uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, hey, cool, man. I, I was just I was just checking. And then, like, when I, after the set, I, like, saw there was, like, a big Target bag in the green room. So he, he actually, like, drove the Sprinter to Target for some reason. You know, it, it's, it's not out of the realm of – it's so funny. You go backstage sometimes at, after a shred show, and, and you're like, where's Horn? And he's out in the middle of the night riding a bike around Santa Cruz or something. <laughs> you know, but there's – it just it, – it's it, – I'll tell you, man. You uh, – it has been a, such a blast here for 63 minutes, but, I you know, do not – Ever get off your path and stay connected to those who you can feel really true vibrational love from. I know you know that, but there's so oh, yeah. much in this. No, it's, good. it's always good to hear again. There's just know? so much dissidence out there, so don't. Yeah, and this know. shit isn't easy. You know, it's it's tough. It's tough to make a living and stay healthy. I will say one thing. Good. I mean, that's the thing. I, I the, the the night of the Fairfield show, I went back and saw. That was actually a beautiful green room, and I don't know where your band was, but the absolutely but no, it was that was that was yeah. a pimp. That, that, you know, I was I looked at I just, you know, um, I looked at Horn. I said, you know, man, I said, how's your health? You know, like how are you feeling physically? Because like, to be honest with you, if Mac and Horn and John Lee, like, if something happened to them, I, it would really alter my life a lot. I, I mean, yeah. God forbid. So he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, man, it's kind of unsustainable. So. You know, you're up against it, man, you know, and and that doesn't mean it's not possible. It's just you got a a lot of self-love and you got to stay always connected and vulnerable to those people like like those cats. So, I mean, man, I I can't wait to do it again, brother. And and if you're ever uh, I don't know when that other band you're in, I don't know if you guys ever come to the Southwest, but it would be actually I think we're I think we're playing in Tucson. Don't even don't go there right now. All right, let's I check. Will, why don't, I, I, I want you to check out. Even in Arizona, I'll go. I'll come and see you guys. I know we're playing Phoenix, and I think we're playing Tucson. All right, you get back to me as soon as possible. And Absolutely. and when is that? When is that tour? When is that tour going on? Uh, it's I, it, it's like late February, early. Oh February. my dude, dude Rich Roof, dude, run. we are blowing the roof off the place. Yeah, dude. yeah. I'll, I'll, you got to come out and. Oh, we're gonna be hanging it, hard, dude. dude. It's it's a whole different ball game, but it's equally. Hey man, yeah, I'm I'm open so. to it all, baby. 
It's like uh, it's like Crazy Horse backing like Bonnie Raitt kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> if that if that translates. Well, you know what? At the yeah, well, no. So it's yeah. Well, you know what? Just you bring you bring the you bring that insanity, and we're gonna raise the collective consciousness. If you're coming to Tucson, I'm gonna lose my mind, dude. So get Hell back, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you shortly on that. <laughs> Yo, man, much love to you and bless you, brother. Dude, thank you, Jake. This is great. All right, man. We'll do it again. Be cool. All right. Yep. Be in touch, man. Peace. See ya. Yep.